Part of me feels like one of these days is doing the entire message like that neighbor from Tim Allen in the... <laughs> That'd be kind of awkward, though. Uh, welcome to part four of God with us. Um, is, when, you, when you look at the account of Jesus' story and Jesus' life, it all starts with this announcement to, to Mary. You're going to be pregnant and have a child. And then one of the lines that was delivered to her in this uh, pregnancy announcement was... This child will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And what strikes me about that is it's not just that the child will be Emmanuel, but they will call him Emmanuel. It will be recognized that God was dwelling among people. And that's really the Christmas miracle. Every time you celebrate Christmas for what it truly is, you are celebrating and wondering at this incredible miracle of God Almighty becoming a human being and dwelling among us. What, the, the, the direction that we're taking this series is more of an application of that. Jesus, who was God with us, promised his disciples and his church by extension, surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What does it mean that God is with us? And do people today still have the right to call him Emmanuel? Well, in, so far in this series, we've seen that sometimes there are places in life where we can doubt God's presence but in effect, he is truly with you. When you're in the valley, in, in other words, when you have this enduring hardship that you can't get out of, you just have to go through, your shepherd is there with you to guide you through it. He knows when it's better to send you through than to rescue you from. Uh, we, we've seen how God is with us in the wilderness, in these seasons of there's, where there's nothing you can do but just wait and wait and wait. And when God is present, Waiting has a purpose. We've seen how God is even present on the mountaintop seasons of life where everything's going great and perfect and you have no worries. It's so easy to forget that God is with you. And last week we saw that encouragement to remember it is not about you. It is about, a, it is about God with you. And, and today as we get into part four, there's another element to this that really takes the other three and kind of combines them together into one thought. The idea for today is that God is with you even in the storm. God is with you in the storm. And for the context of this message, what we mean by storm is simply when things get really bad really fast. Like things get really bad and so fast that you had no idea what happened, no idea where it came from. Everything was going along just fine, and then things just got really bad. You, you hit this storm. Now, when you think about storms, there's maybe some different things you think about. And before I get into that, let me just give you a quick personal story. So when I introduce myself to people and kind of get to know them, sometimes, you know, you, you talk to someone and you say, well, where'd you grow up? Where are you from? And when I tell them, some people, I'm from Oklahoma, they kind of pause and say, oh. First of all, I'm like, oh, like people are actually from Oklahoma? Are you judging me right now? But then they follow up and say, well, have you like seen any tornadoes? Because apparently if you're from Oklahoma, like tornadoes are just everywhere. And, and I ask them, well, can I count the fact that I saw the movie Twister? Does that count? And can I count the, the unfortunate fact that I saw the movie Sharknado? Can I count that? No, okay, then no, I have not seen any tornadoes in my life, at least not when I was in Oklahoma. But actually for me, what's kind of interesting is that it was just three months ago when I was in the most severe storm that I've ever been in. And as I look back at it in hindsight, it could have been a tornado. 
uh, at least pretty close to one. It was September 20th when some, some bad storms came through the area. I, I had been in Wisconsin for, for a week for some meetings and stuff, and it was Friday night. I was uh, driving my rental car back home to the Twin Cities, and about 90 minutes outside of the Twin Cities, I start to get this amazing light show up in the sky. Well, I wouldn't even call it lightning because lightning, you know, has like this, the lightning strikes that hit the ground. This was just a nebulous of electricity up in a cloud, off in the distance, just going back and forth and back and forth like, a, like this big, you know, ending of a, light, of a fireworks show. And I'm looking at all this light in the sky off in the distance. I'm like, that is really cool. It's like a science fiction show right in front of my eyes. And then I got closer. I have to speed up here. Long story short, I enter into that cloud, and things changed. My awe and wonder turned to fear. It was like going through this thick curtain where on the one side everything was peaceful and calm, but on the other side was a torrential downpour. So much so that when I hit that wall, I had literally zero visibility And I was going 70 miles an hour, or a little faster maybe, down the interstate. Now there's a semi-truck in front of me, and I had seen him, you know, put on his brake lights, and I'm like, why is he braking? That's weird. But then when I hit that wall of water, I quickly understood why. What I quickly also understood is that my rental car had some sort of grease or film or oil over the windshield, so every time I turned on the wipers, it didn't so much wipe the water away as it just kind of smeared it into the windshield. So visibility was bad. So I did the only thing I could do. I followed the semi-truck in front of me. Just those two red lights. Just focus on those lights. I can't see the road, but I'm just following the semi-truck as we crawl along. And the reason that was my only option is because guys never stop. Right? You can't let the storm win. You, you got to keep going somehow. Now, we could go around the room, and you've all got your crazy story. By the way, that September 20th, you know, line of storms, that's what killed the Red Barn out in Northfield. Is that the name of it? The Red Barn Place. You know what I'm talking about if you've had a wedding there. But it's this big, big, big storm. So some of us, we can all tell our story about, oh, that big storm of 82 or 90, whatever. You know, we all have that storm story. But then there are storms in life that are equally fast and equally destructive. Some of us have gone through a a storm regarding health, where everything seemed fine, he seemed healthy, she seemed stable, and then out of nowhere, things changed. Out of nowhere came this diagnosis. He seemed perfectly fine, but it turns out everything wasn't. That's a storm. Some of us have gone through financial storms, where maybe you didn't have all the money in the world, but you had enough until the medical bill came or until the credit card came due and all of a sudden you realize that that bill is going to turn you over into the red. And it was a short, one-time piece of mail you got in the mail, but it changed you for a season. That's a storm. Some of us have gone through relational storms. Maybe you knew someone who who was married and they didn't have the perfect marriage, but they had a good marriage until he did this one thing and she heard about it or she said this one thing and led to this and that and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, things just blow up. That's a storm. Or A lot of you have gone through career storms. 
Uh, I just, as in my adult life, I'm listening back now to my parents and w- what they sheltered me from. My dad was a salesman. If you're a salesman, you know how it goes. Commissions can be cut. Territory can be cut. Career can be in turmoil. You can be put into a storm real quickly. And now I'm listening as an adult back to all these storms that they weathered over the years. Storms come up quick. They come up out of nowhere. Things get really bad really fast. And the one thing that all storms have in common is they all make you feel the same way. Whether it's a literal storm that you're driving through or a storm in life, they all make you feel out of control. Isn't that true? During a, during a storm, you just begin to realize how out of control you really have been all along. And it kind of scares you. This life or death situation is now got you in its grips, and you realize there's nothing you can do but put your head down and wait. And when this fear crops up, now you begin to make this into a spiritual thing, because now you begin to ask the question, where is God, and why did he allow this storm to happen? Why couldn't this just be a little wake-up call? Why does it have to be this big storm that now is going to change my life? Where is God and what is he doing? And what I want to show you today is that God is there. He was there before you were. And maybe what you need to hear if you're in a storm now or if you've been in a storm recently, in fact, if you were in a storm recently, you wish you could go back and tell yourself this, number one, that storms are not an indicator that God is absent or angry. God doesn't mean that it, the, the, the presence of a storm doesn't mean that God is absent. He is there. He is there. And it, it doesn't mean that he's angry at you like he's getting even with you. Oh, he must be punishing me for something. That's not what a storm indicates. You know what a storm indicates? It indicates that you live in a broken world where things will not be good. But if you take nothing else away from this message today, I'm going to give you one thing here that I hope you remember and I hope you apply, and it's this. You do not need the absence of a storm to find peace. Peace is not the absence of a storm. Peace is in the presence of a good and loving God. What I want to show you today is how Jesus was very clear that storms may and will come. The thing isn't to avoid them. It's how God prepares you for them. And to do this, we're going to look at some words from Jesus that were recorded by a guy named Luke 2,000 years ago. And as we look at these words, um, they are a mirror of some words that uh, another biographer also wrote about Jesus. Long story short, we call this the Sermon on the Mount. This is the longest recorded sermon that we have of Jesus. In fact, it's so long that many scholars and smart people think, I guess scholars are smart people, but many smart people, wise men, magi, never mind, we're getting, um, many people think that this Sermon on the Mount was was something that Jesus kind of took with him in many different places, and maybe he used the whole thing, or maybe he just used a few parts of it, Uh, but this was something that people heard over and over again. And as he gets into this, what you need to, to realize about the Sermon on the Mount is that Jesus doesn't really talk a whole lot about how people get to heaven. You see, in a a year or two, Jesus would win that path to heaven through the cross. The, the, The Sermon on the Mount was not really teaching people how to get to heaven. 
a lot of his sermons and messages talked about the kingdom of heaven, but the Sermon on the Mount was more of an earthly-minded focus. And as he did this, he got into so much stuff that hit people right where they were at. He talked about what to do when someone hates you. He talked about how to forgive others. He talked about how to pray. He talked about how to submit to one another and what forgiveness might cost you. In so many different ways, he talked about elements of life that everyone who listened would be going, wow, this isn't really like a heaven thing. This is a now thing that's speaking into my life. And as Jesus is doing this, he comes up with his observation. He's just finished this big, long message connecting with people in their life, preparing them for what might be a storm, and he makes this observation. He says, hold on, hold on, hold on. I've been talking and talking and talking about what you can do in your life to align it with God's will. And he made this observation. Jesus said, hold on, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? In other words, he's afraid that everything he just said, people have been going, oh, that's good, and they've been filling it in on their sheets, and they've been engaged. But Jesus says, look, if you really call me Lord, Lord, why is it that you just call these good ideas, but you then don't take them and apply them to your life? Why aren't you doing this? And in essence, what he's saying is, we've got some hypocrites in the crowd today. If you really call me Lord, and you believe I'm the Son of God, and if you believe that my words carry some weight, why do you not do them? Now, hypocrites, we often think of as these bad people. um, No one likes a hypocrite. If, If you're a hypocrite, that means you're judging other people, but then you do the same thing that you judge them for. If you're a hypocrite, it it means that you say you believe one thing, but then you do something that contradicts it. People who are hypocrites, they, they have no principle, they, they have you know, no ethics, no morals. If, if you're called a hypocrite, that's offensive to the people around you. And we could do an entire message, in fact, Jesus did entire messages, about how hypocrites were offensive to other people. And that alone is enough reason to say, okay, I shouldn't be a hypocrite. But that's not Jesus' point here. You see, as much as hypocrisy offends the people around you, Jesus is focusing on something else here. Yes, it may be offensive, but for you, it is destructive. Number two, hypocrisy is a self-destructive path. And here's why. If you acknowledge that, yes, Jesus, by, by a miraculous birth, is the Son of God and a human being, and he is my Savior, my Redeemer. He knows the best way for my life, and his word is truth. If you acknowledge that, but then you go home, and you hate your spouse, and you're grumpy with your kids, or if you go to work, and you, you're, you're mean to all the people around, if, if you refuse to forgive the people around you, you are a hypocrite. And here's the, here's Here's the danger. The danger is you are vulnerable to a storm. The reason Jesus gave all these commands was, first of all, to point out how we can't keep commands and how we need him to to be our Savior. But more than that, additionally, on top of that, the reason he gave all these commands about life was to, to show you what it means to be prepared for when a storm comes. But... 
If we say we believe him, but then do something else, you are setting yourself up for destruction. It's, it's, it's like a person maybe building a house, and the inspector comes through and says, okay, this part looks good, but this over here is going to cause a fire. You should fix that. And you're like, yeah, I'll fix that. But then you go home and you do nothing. You're setting yourself up for disaster. And as Jesus, as Jesus goes on here, there's, there's one other thing that we need to get a handle on, and it's this mis, mis, uh, misconceived notion in fact, there's a phrase that is often used out there. We could do an entire series on phrases about things we say God said, but he didn't really say. But here's this one phrase that applies to this uh, topic. The idea that God won't give you more than you can handle. You know, people maybe say that to you, or maybe you've even said that to people, thinking this is a biblical truth, but it isn't. Never does it say that God won't give you more than you can handle. It says he won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. That's a different thing. Now, I can make this right. I can fix this theologically, but you grammar people aren't going to like it. God won't not give you more than you can handle. In other words, God might give you or allow to happen to you more than you can handle. If you believe the lie that he won't give you more than you can handle, what does that mean for the way you prepare for tomorrow? Well, if you won't give me more than I can handle, then... I don't need to be resilient. I don't need to strengthen my faith in him. I don't, I don't need to be ready because he'll just meet me wherever my readiness is at. But you and I know that's not true of any storm. Like the hurricanes that go through, they don't just pick out the houses that are ready and really hit them and then skip over the houses that aren't ready. It's a blanket thing as it is with life. God doesn't hold back just because you're not ready. Sometimes it's in the failure and in the destruction that only he can pick up the pieces and create something out of it. But God would much rather take a different route. Rather than going the path of destruction, he says, what if we could prepare something resilient so that when the storm comes, you can stand strong against it? Not because you can handle it, but because I am with you in it. So Jesus goes on, he says, let me show you what this looks like when God prepares you for that. Jesus goes on, as for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and, circle that and in your Bible, highlight that and, and puts them into practice, I will show you what they're like. In other words, if you actually do what I'm telling you to do and, and you love your, your, your spouse and you forgive your enemy, you do all that stuff, I'm not just going to tell you what's going to happen. I'm going to use a story here to illustrate it for you. And Jesus was the master storyteller and the great teacher. So here's, here's his story. He, let me show you what they're like. Next verse. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. Now, the reason I love this section, and there's a very similar section in uh, Matthew's Gospel, the reason I like this one so much is because the idea of building a house still resonates with people today. But maybe not the digging deep part. What would it take 2,000 years ago to dig deep enough to build your foundation on the rock? The answer is, you don't know until you start digging. 
if you commit yourself to building a house that would stand back then, you would get out your shovel or get out your animals, however they, they dug it out, and one scoop at a time, you would dig and dig and dig until you hit rock, and then you would build up your house from that point. That's a lot of work. That's a lot of work. So what does this mean for us when Jesus gives us the, the, the wisdom of God to build on? What it looks like is this. You don't just change your behavior or curb the way you, you, you act, but to dig deep means you ask yourself, why have I been doing this? What has been motivating me to seek the praise of people so much? You ask the questions about what drives you and what motivates you and what your true desires are. That's where you dig deep and you find maybe what is some uncomfortable truth hidden within. Jesus' path is not the easy path, but it's the only path that will survive the storm. The Apostle Paul put it this way when he talks about what it means to dig deep. He says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. This is not an easy thing to do. But this is the path that Jesus laid out if you want to stand strong in the midst of a storm. And it's not just this part. There's, there's also the other part to this. See, this is the positive, and I really wish Jesus would have ended his sermon there, but he ends it kind of on a negative note. He says, this is what it looks like to do what I say, but here's the opposite. The one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation, which you might think is foolish. I'll I'll explain why in a minute. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Now, you've built Lego houses, or at least I have with my son. We've built these Lego things, and you know what? You missed a step like 15 steps ago, so you kind of take off the whole thing and you just fix that one part and put it back together. This is not that. This is that when it comes through, the, the torrent comes through, every piece is smashed apart so that you start over with nothing. And you might think, man, this guy was foolish. Who would build a house without any foundation? You know who? People who like shortcuts and people who want immediate, immediate results. You can build a house really fast if you just build it on top of the ground and make yourself a few rooms and put a chimney up there and a picket fence around it. You've got a beautiful house in a few days, and it's a lot less work. And maybe the guy is thinking, you know what? The weather is nice right now. Maybe it'll just stay like this. To that, Jesus would caution you, the weather never stays the same when you're building the house. The 30-year flood came. Whatever flood came, and that house was smashed into bits. And this all brings up an important illustration that Jesus was praying and hoping that the people that he was preaching to would, would take away from this. He says, I've told you what it takes to be resilient in that storm. You don't even know what storm's coming up, and it's going to blindside you. But the thing is, you have to prepare for the storm before the storm. Number three on your sheet, the only way, the only time to prepare for a storm is before the storm. 
It kind of makes sense, but for some reason we miss out on this part of it, don't we? We get ourselves into a storm or a storm hits us and we say, God, where are you? And God is saying, well, I was kind of with you all along, wanting to prepare you for this, but where were you? This idea came out real strongly uh, later on in, uh, in Luke's letter, or Luke's uh, gospel as, of Jesus, where, uh, long story short, we've talked about this story recently here at Bethlehem, um, but what happened was Jesus and his uh, disciples, 12 guys, were, were uh, traveling through an area, and these two sisters named Mary and Martha invited him over, which... Okay, Jesus plus 12 grown men, now you got to take care of them all. It's a lot of work. So kind of last-minute thing, come on over, come on over. So, so they bring him over, and Mary and Martha, these two sisters, are preparing for Jesus, but wouldn't you know what happens? Martha is getting all the food ready. Mary's just sitting there listening to Jesus talk. So here's, here's what happened with them, real quick. Martha came to Jesus and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister left me to do the work by myself Tell her to help me. If you want a powerful, pr- powerful prayer this week, model this. It's powerful, but not in the right way. Jesus, tell her to help me. Come on, just tell her to help a little bit. Come on, we're, I'm swamped with 13 grown men to feed and take care of. She should at least be helping to help offset some of this work. Now, Jesus' response might make you angry and upset. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you're worried, you're upset about many things. <coughs> But few things are needed, indeed only one. Mary has chosen what's better, and it will not be taken away from her. She's been building something today that will stand the test of time. It will not be taken away from her. And, and in that day, Mar- Mary and Martha had this opportunity to refocus, resettle on this time with God with us. You see, this was their time before the storm because when you look into what happens next in John chapter 11, the storm hit. Their brother Lazarus got really sick, a kind of sick that no doctor could fix. So they sent word to Jesus and Jesus delayed, delayed, delayed. Lazarus died. Out of nowhere, a healthy man died from a sickness. That was a storm. And it's remarkable, when Jesus finally showed up four days later, they go up to him, one at a time, each in their own way, and they said, Jesus, it's too late. If you had been here, things would be different. But even now, we believe that he'll live again. Someday, when, when all this is taken away, he'll live again. They had an amazing resiliency in the face of this storm because God was with them before the storm. And as we look at the conclusion to this story, you know, Jesus knew this about Mary and Martha. He knew what they needed to be ready for. And when Jesus was teaching this Sermon on the Mount to the crowd around him, he knew the faces in the crowd and the storms that would be in front of them. He urged them, would you listen? Would you try this? Would you you bring me along with you? Because when it comes to the storm, if God is not with you before it, you will doubt his presence in it. And as Jesus was teaching the crowds this, you know, the Sermon on the Mount, um, Matthew records that 
Uh, the people had this reaction. Remember, Jesus just ended on a really negative note that, that the house would crash if, if he didn't listen to what he said. This is what the people acknowledged about Jesus that day. Uh, next verse, Matthew chapter 7. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teachings because he taught as one who had authority, not as the other teachers of the law. It was as if Jesus understood what was in front of him. He said, here's what you need to look at today. Here's what you need to know for today. The more you spend time with God before the storm, the better prepared you are for it. And now let me acknowledge what you all know to be true. No amount of preparation you do can ever make you completely ready. There are going to be storms that blindside you, that shake you. Some of them might even crumble you, but I still want you to know this. God is with you in the storm. God was with Mary and Martha at the tomb of Lazarus. God is with you in your financial hurts, your relational hurts, your career uncertainties. He is with you, and he forgives. Here's what else I want you to think. As you go through that exercise with him, God preparing you for what storms you don't even know are ahead of you yet, you might find yourself in a storm someday, and you, you, you say to yourself, I don't know the purpose of why I'm here. I don't know why God allowed this to happen. It certainly isn't for my good. Here's one thing I want you to think about. Number four on your sheet. Maybe in this storm, you're going to learn something that helps someone else through theirs. Maybe the purpose for your storm is to help someone else who maybe is far from God, who does not have God with them, who is not sitting at the feet of Jesus, but is rather busy and distracted by life. And maybe your time in this storm helps you recognize God's presence in it so that you can then help this other person through theirs. How many times haven't you gone through a hard time? And someone else said, I've been there. I've been there. I know what you're thinking. I know what lies are trying to grab a hold of you. But here's what you need to know. Maybe this isn't for your good. Maybe this is for the kingdom's good. And God will use you in a big, big way. At the end of the day, no one chooses to enter a storm. No one even sees the storms coming. But I pray today, if nothing else, you just remember this, that for peace, it doesn't require the absence of a storm. For peace, it just requires the presence of a good God. and He is with you. Tomorrow we get to celebrate that as we celebrate Christmas in Lakeville, Christmas here as a church, God dwelling with us. And I hope you can come back next Sunday also as we have one more message in this God with us series about what to do when you're not sure what God wants you to do. And we'll look for some direction from him about that next week. Let's close today with prayer. Dear Father in heaven, I thank you so much for the the peace that you can give us, even in the midst of storms. I thank you for the forgiveness that you provide for us when when we feel like we've wandered from you and, and haven't been preparing the way we should. And maybe we're facing a storm right now that we we have not been ready for, and now we're facing the consequences for it. But I thank you so much, no matter where we're at today, that with you there is forgiveness. With you there is forgiveness, and you are with each and every one of us. Give us the knowledge, the patience, the understanding to recognize that whether we're in a valley or in the wilderness or on the mountaintop, whatever our season of life may be, this is a season where you're preparing us for a storm that may be to come. But thank you that through your death and your resurrection, 
you have defeated the greatest uncertainty that any of us could face.